thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far and has helped make 52 Weeks of Hustle such a success. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. I'm excited to have joined General Sports Worldwide, where Lou DePauli and I will be focusing on executive search and team consulting. Our services will range from recruiting, onboarding, training, development, business planning, consulting, and much more. We're really looking to be a full service agency for our clients to assist them in their return on investment and return on energy. Please let me know if you have any interest. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to be an elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com as well as to follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career growth, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. Imagine starting out as a professional career and having a lot of success for eight years, but then you decide you want to move into a new profession where your passion truly is. One little hitch in that plan is that you have to start at the bottom and work your way up again. Our next guest did just that and has had a tremendous career. I'm excited to have our next guest, Michael Wandell, Chief Commercial Officer for BSC Global and the Brooklyn Nets. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Travis. Really appreciate you having me on. Great to be Michael, here. Michael, very excited to have you and be able to really dive into your illustrious career. So let's start where I kicked it off. You, you grow up in Champaign, Illinois. Both your parents were in business. So you certainly grew up with the customer is always right mentality. So walk us through the value of growing up around parents in a business setting and how that kind of helped progress where you want to do in your career. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it's a great, it's a great question. And one, you know, that, you know, probably we could spend the entire time talking about yep. just that, you know, my um, father, you know, started his business and uh, has been in business for, you know, 40 plus years, um, 50 plus years. He's, he's, he's only ever worked for himself. He's got an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, but he hammered in, um, to myself and my brother at a, at a very early age, um, that there was no substitute for hard work. Um, and that you obviously, you know, have to love what you do. You got to be really passionate about, you know, your work. And if you are, it doesn't, doesn't feel like work. And, you know, just touching on, you know, what you were scratching at there, you know, it was always this kind of mantra that the customer is always right. And that um, while the answer, you know, the answer um, should never be no, um, it's a maybe. And like we're in a solutions business, we're trying to work towards a yes. But, you know, you, you don't start from a place of no, you try to start from a place of yes. And, uh, and so, you know, that informed a lot of, you know, kind of who I am today as a as an executive. And, um, you know, I think it's, I think, I hope it's served me well and just the partnerships I've been able to build and the relationships I've been able to build over the last 15 or 20 years. No, absolutely. And we'll certainly dive into all those relationships and partnerships and, you know, over a billion dollars with partnerships in your career. And you're going back, Michael, you end up going to Northwestern University and you receive a degree in history. What did you think you wanted to do after college? 
You know, it's a great question. And, you know, I love that because it's really funny. Um, you know, I remember distinctly remember being like so hyper-focused on like what school I went to and getting into the school that I thought was going to be great. And <laughs> right. And, and there, there, I think that, that like that pressure, that, that angst is real. Right. Um, but it's funny because when you, when you sit and you reflect, like, I can't remember the last time I thought about or talked about college. Another, I had a great experience at Northwestern. Right. I'm, you know, I'm excited that I, you know, was delighted that I went there and there are, you know, a handful of uh, really close relationships that I still hold to this day. There's some of my dearest friends on the planet, but it's not, it's, it's not, it's not what I expected on the front end. Like when you, when you get on the other side of it, like, I could have maybe been had less pressure on myself in that moment. Um, all I really wanted at the time was to be able to think critically, to be able to write well, and to meet really interesting people. Yep. And so, you know, when I was in school, everyone that I had gone to school with, like most of those kids had had like multiple internships and they were like taking jobs with Goldman Sachs and they were going to go work for JP Morgan. And they, you know, they, they had all of those they had all of that clearly articulated and already understood and mapped out like before they even walked into their senior year of college. Right. And I, um, I was just interested in just learning, you know, was learning as much as I could and being really well-rounded. And so, you know, I had that, I had the major um, in history, but I also had a, a major in, in English in, in 20th century literature and a minor in jazz theory. And that was just because those were the classes that I thought were really provoking. Yep. And, and those you think the outside the box and yeah, those were like, those were the classes that I just thought were cool. Like I was, you know, really into, it was always, you know, I was really into music. And so, you know, coming out of college, like I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't have that like plan. Um, there right. weren't, you know, I hadn't been interviewing the way normal people, like people at Northwestern had been like, they had had 15 interviews or 20. They were like, you know, they had multiple job offers. Right. And I, I, at the time, I just, you know, my brother is five years older than me. Um, we were never really in school at the same time. And so I, and he was living in Los Angeles and had gone out to LA and, and, you know, had had in, was, you know, in a career in the television business and still is. And I thought, well, I want to go out to LA and I want to just spend time with my brother and, and right. a really long story short, I ended up working in the music business. That was my, you know, kind of the music, broader music industry. And my, my first job, I was, I was actually working for a multimedia company and I was running the music vertical for that company, but, and I kind of fortuitously fell into that opportunity, but that was what I was really passionate That's about. Passion. And the interesting thing is, is that even through that interview process, that was the thing that was kind of coming out and that was kind of how it, I was, I was really leaning into the music side of my, you know, the passion uh, in the conversation that I was in. And that, you know, I believe just, you know, you got to follow your passions. It doesn't feel like work if you, if you do so. And so it worked out just kind of fortuitously that I ended up in that role. Um, but I, I, you know, so it wasn't, I didn't, but I didn't, hadn't set out to go work in the music business or, or, right. or a multimedia company when I left school. It just, it kind of, you know, just kind of, presented itself it unfolded in a in a way that just was kind of magical when you talk a lot about passion right and that's what we tell a lot of people in this industry is you got to have passion for it there's a lot of a lot of hours a lot of nights and weekends and from your end you you had a passion all just growing up sports and music you took the music route first 
worked in there for almost eight years, lastly with MXG Media. And so when did it click for you that you realized, you know what, I really have a passion for music, but maybe my passion even more is in the sports world. You know, so the thing that was really exciting about the early days of MXG is that, you know, I had autonomy to kind of focus on the kind of music or the artists that I, you know, that were really resonating with me at the time. And MXG at a certain point, you know, was sold and a larger parent company had come in and it was, I think the culture was starting to change. And, and, um, and even after that, like I had started, I was, I was writing, I was doing some freelance work. I had did some work and I, and when you freelance as a, as a writer, this is before I'd gone into a, a marketing capacity, you, you're not choosing like the artist or the DJ or the band that you want to promote or feature. You're literally like given an assignment and like, this is the, this is the show I need you to go review. Um, this is the band I need you to go interview. And then you were putting your name to something that you didn't really have like a connection to in the connection with. Yep. And it started to affect and impact like my love of music. And that was when I decided like, it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to work in sports. It was that I didn't really want, like I didn't want to lose my love and passion for music. And it was starting to become really like commercialized in a way that like spiritually didn't feel right. Like I'm saying that kind of, you know, uh, tongue in cheek, but, right. um, and I actually, before I went into sports, I'd gone into, into a marketing role. I was working you know, for a chain of retail stores and, and was kind of working in sales and marketing. And I did that, you know, for a couple of years. And, um, and I got to a point where I just didn't feel that, that passion, that drive, that energy, that fire every morning when, when you get up and when you go to work and it was starting to feel like work. Yep. It really was. Um, and that was when I made the decision and the, the pivot um, to the sports industry and it was the best decision that I, you know, that I could have made. And we're going to dive into your illustrious sports career. And, and you know, I think that was great advice for the listeners, right? Continue that passion. But, you know, if it starts to feel like it's a job, you, you might want to change up your mentality, right? You, you want to do something for your career. And, you know, so after going to a career fairs, you're working in the retail industry, you decide to take that leap. And now this is where, in my opinion, your journey gets really interesting and very outside the traditional thinking, because, Again, you're spending eight years in your career, you're making decent money, you're, you're working your way up, you decide to start entry level inside sales with the Indiana Pacers. So several questions, Michael. First, you're spending eight years in any industry, you are going to be making decent money, certainly not inside sales money, which at the time was a very small hourly wage, no benefits, a little bit of commission. What ultimately made you decide, you know what, this is the plunge I need to take? And I actually, I think I still have my offer letter from the Indiana Pacers. I, 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 awesome. I don't know. I, yeah. I've, I've kept it as a nice, you know, reminder and a memory of like, just where, you know, where, where I came from, but more importantly that like, that I wanted it that badly that I was willing to make that sacrifice. And I think that would be, you know, the one, you know, so like, you know, if, if there was ever any wisdom to impart or to, or to bestow, um, and it's debatable whether or not I'm, I'm even the appropriate person to give such guidance or, or insights. And this is in no particular order, but I, you know, so this, this theme or the thematic of passion is one that obviously, you know, that's right there. Um, but then this, this just like this unwavering commitment 
and dedication to like seeing it through. And I've told people many times before that are like contemplating a, a career move or a switch into sports. And I'm like, you, you've got to have, you've got to have steadfast conviction and you've got to know in the deepest parts of your soul that this is right, because you're going to be challenged. You're going to be tested. There's going to be days where you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be making any money. You've sacrificed, you know, a lot financially to try to make this decision. People don't typically come into the sports world to like to get wealthy or to, you know, right. to make like a lot of money. But I would tell people I wouldn't want that to be a deterrent or a detractor because I believe money follows passion. And so if you really believe in what you want to do and if you really love what you do and if you're passionate about your work and if you commit to it and you you you're engaged in your work, um, you know, and it doesn't feel like work, like over time, if you can weather that storm, if you can handle that turbulence, the money, the money eventually will follow and flow. But that, that wasn't why I ever got into it. It was because I, I was passionate about it and I wanted to just really find meaning in my, in my work, you know? So that, that was, that was how I, that was how I kind of landed in inside sales and yeah. In my, you know, everyone was coming right out of college and everyone in my inside sales group called me Obi-Wan. You know, like I already had gray hair. <laughs> I was like the old man. I was the old man in the boiler room. Right. Um, yeah, it was great. I haven't, you know, thinking back on those days, it's, you know, it was a time, uh, you know, great fondness. I look back on those days. You know, and that's, and that's the thing is, you know, we, we hear this a lot from people right now in Canada. It's like, well, I've already done this or, Hey, I'm, I have more experience in my career. Like sometimes you have to take that risk. You have to take that grind, you know, from a mental game as well. And, and in this in industry, we talk a lot about internal motivation. So what do you feel like you did on a consistent basis to keep yourself motivated, knowing that, Hey, I gave up a pretty good career. I I'm starting back at the bottom but you know what? I took this risk. I'm passionate about it. I'm going to find a way to make it work. So what, what were you doing to keep yourself motivated? Yeah, that's a great question. It was an easy one. I, you know, the, the reason, and for me, the reason why I always tell people if they're interested in, in coming into the sports world, one is you, know, you got to really like understand which side of the business you want to be on. Like, what are you passionate about and where do you think it makes sense? And nine times out of 10, people are like, I don't know. I just want to work in sports. I'm like, okay, well, you should, you know, if, if you're, my recommendation is typically to, to look at the sales vertical and going back to your, you know, the question about motivation for me, it was like the, the leaderboard, the leaderboard didn't lie. The numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. And the thing that's great about being on the sales side of the house is you always know where you stand. You always know because the numbers are the numbers and you only have yourself to, to hold accountable Right. And it, I always looked at it as like, I'm running my own business. This is my small little enterprise that I'm building and that I'm growing. Yep. I'm the CEO of that, that business. Yep. And so if I get here early and if I stay late and if I make this many calls and if I talk to this many people, it was like, it was almost formulaic to me in that way. Yep. And I only, and I, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really complicated psych, psychological exercise to go through when you're looking at the leaderboard every single day. And I always tried, this is why I think about thinking of like running your own business. I tried to not look at anyone else that was around me as my competition. Yep. I was only in competition with myself. Internal competition. Yep. It's my energy, my effort, my output, my production, my, and then, and not making it about like, why is, 
why is Billy ahead of me on the leaderboard? Or, you know, why did, you know, why did Timmy get that lead? You know, what, you know, so on and so forth. And, and I, I just had to focus on, on what I could control. Right. And so, um, and so that leaderboard for me was a great uh, barometer and a great measure meant a great thermometer for like my own motivation. Um, And if I ever wasn't at the top of that leaderboard, um, I always wanted to be. Um, If I ever wasn't at the top, I was like, I need to make more calls. I need to get in earlier. I need to meet more people. You know, I need to, you know, I need to, you know, I need to think differently about the way I'm approaching this conversation. Um, You know, so yeah, that, 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 that for me was my motivation. You know, and you found, you just, at the end of the day, period point blank, you found a way to get it done. And you talked about controllables and that's what we know in the sports industry is you can't control the wins and losses but you can control your, your passion, your work ethic, you're open to evolving. And, you know, you certainly, you, you take that risk. And so looking back, you've now had an over a 20 year career in the sports industry and have had a ton of success, which we'll dive into. So thinking back at that time, when you took that risk, what is a piece of advice that you wish you would have known maybe at right out of college or early on in your career that may have led you down this path sooner? Well, you know, just to know that it is actually possible and that you will get there if you believe and if you have that conviction and if you're committed and you're, you know, dedicated to your craft, you're passionate about what you do. There were times like, like, I got to be honest, there were so many times where I really questioned the decision yep. where I wasn't, you know, either, um, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. Like I, I, I'm, 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 I'm ambitious, right? People, there's this, there's this general commentary about like, you know, the younger workforce that's coming in, you know, to the workforce today. And like, there, there's this, this expectation to like, to move and accelerate like through the ecosystem faster than maybe than they should. And like, I don't know. I mean, I, 20 years ago, like I was hungry too, you know, right. right. I wanted to, I wanted to get promoted. I was in ticket sales. I was an inside sales. I wanted to be a senior seller. And then when I was a senior seller. I wanted to be, then I wanted to be in premium and I wanted to sell suites. And then when I was selling suite, then I wanted to sell partnerships. I wanted to get a sponsorship. Yes. And you know, I, I, I felt that. Yep. I felt that um, early in my career. So I don't think that like, I don't think that that commentary is like one that's even like necessarily fair all the time. Right. Um, but, and so where I wanted to go with that is like, there were times where I had a lot of doubt where I was questioning, I wasn't moving as fast as I thought I should move. I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't into the partnership world as fast as I as thought fast I would. Could. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and I doubted, I doubted myself. And I think, I think there were moments there where, you know, you, it's easy to lose that conviction and that passion. You've got to, you've got to be able to weather that storm. You've got to know, and you've got to believe that you are going to get through to the other side, that it is going to happen and that it is unfolding in the right time. Right. And it, and that you've got it. You also, you've got to be patient. I think that's the key, ambitious. right? It's, 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 it's not easy to be patient because you see some of the other people, Oh, well, they got promoted to this and this and this. And it's like, I want to beat them in timing, but it's yeah. more about patience and what you're learning. Absolutely. Yeah. And going back to that again, that idea that like, I'm not in competition with Billy. Billy's already a CRO and I'm still just, uh, you know, I'm still just a VP of partnerships. Yep. You know, it's like, that's what I'm happy for Billy. Right. Billy, man, Billy's killing it. Crushing it. Yep. I want to gravitate towards him. 
you see what Susie's doing? She's this, she's yeah. the CRO. Susie's yep. killing it. You know, like you, we have to celebrate, you know, our colleagues and our friends' successes. Um, right. Because, Absolutely. Well, and it's certainly, you know, again, going back to that risk, you had the passion, you found a way to get it done. It worked out. You had two successful, very successful years with the Pacers. You then go out West to the Phoenix Suns to take a role in marketing partnerships uh, where you end up spending four years. But, you know, so what was the transition like from going selling ticketing to selling sponsorship? You know, I would say at a really high level, it's not it's not the easiest transition, I think, for the normal traditional ticket seller to like just it's a different language, yep. it's a different language. And it takes time to really learn it and to get comfortable. Um, and it's a combination of like understanding the asset mix and the inventory and how you package it. And then over time, getting more comfortable, um, you know, being creative. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, like, you know, one of the, one of the most important things to do on the partnership side of the house is to listen. You got to ask the right questions. You got to know, you got to know which questions to ask. To ask, yep. Right. And it goes back to that idea that like we're solutions oriented, right? We're trying to solve a problem, trying to, you know, and I've, I've, you know, I've talked about this, you know, for a long time, like for the better part of 15 plus years or, you know that we take a consultative approach with our partners, right? We really want to fundamentally, we want to think the way they think. We want to speak the way they speak. We want to, we want to immerse ourselves into the DNA of their brand. And that to me is what's really cool about that side of the house, because yep. every conversation is different. Every opportunity is different. And you're, you're being stretched to think creatively to come up with that solution and to, to solve that problem. Right. And it goes back to understanding those goals and objectives, you know? So for me, that was like, that was like the thing that was, that, that took a while. Like I never, I didn't come to the sports world saying I want to work in ticket sales. I actually, I actually wanted to work in partnerships from the onset. That sounded really interesting. That, to me. that was intriguing to you, but you know, it's like, kid, you got to like, you know, you got to start somewhere. Right. So that's why I started literally at the very bottom, because I, I just wanted to cut my teeth and, and I wanted to fundamentally like really understand the business from all from all aspects and all angles. And and so I I think the transition, um, I don't think the transition, just generally speaking, is an easy one. But it was one that I and I was a little older and I had spent some time in business and I had been in a marketing role. And so I was I was already thinking a little bit differently. Yep. And I was, I was fortunate that, uh, you know, I worked for one of the Titans in our business, Harvey Shank, yep. who, who led the, uh, the marketing partnership group for the Phoenix Suns for, for years and years, you know, Harvey's a legend. Yep. And so, you know, just being around Harvey and being a fly on, on the wall and, and listening into some of those conversations that he was having I was under the, the mentorship of Rick Welts, you know, when I was in Phoenix, who's, I mean, arguably one of the greatest executive, not just in the NBA and all of sports and all of sports. Yep. I love Rick, you know, with all my heart and, you know, he did so much for me in my career personally and professionally. I just get emotional even thinking about those days with Harvey and Rick and the rest of the group. We had so many talented executives there and Rick had built this model franchise. And I look at the people that I worked with, you know, the John Walkers and the Drew Clouds and the Mike Tomans and, you know, that have gone on to have these amazing yep. 
Nick Barlidge and Jeff Ionello, and I could go on and on and on and on, like just, yep. you know, and I learned so much from all of them and we all kind of grew up together, you know? Right. So it was just this, just this exciting time to be a part of that franchise and so cool and so fortunate to, to work for Rick and, and, and under Rick's mentorship and his steady hand. So, yeah, like that, you know, it just, it was a magical time. I think, I think, you know, to answer the question finally and to land the plane, I think my learning curve was probably accelerated because I was around so many talented executives, so many talented people that, that took the time to kind of bring me under their wing and show me a thing or two about how this is done. And I just, you know, like, I think plagiarism in some ways, like at least in this, from a sales perspective is like the highest form of flattery. Flattery. Yeah. I would listen to not Rick, a bad thing. The way he would position. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, did you see what he just did there? You know, he just so much composure and, um, and just so deliberate with like the positioning was so crystal clear. And Harvey was a master at that as well. And so, you know, to that, I think my learning curve was accelerated greatly just because I had great leadership. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Michael Wandau, Chief Commercial Officer for BSE Global and the Brooklyn Nets. And, and so, Michael, you know, again, you spent four years in Phoenix. Then you transitioned to the Senior VP of Marketing Partnerships for the Charlotte, the then Charlotte Bobcats for three and a half years. And you, you certainly made the right move into the sports world. You're working your way up the, the, the ladder, the corporate ladder, quickly into the sponsorship side of the business. And you receive a call to go to the NBA league office. You help up, help lead up the global marketing partnership division. And here on 52 weeks also, we've had several guests from the team side of the business, but this was a bit different as you oversaw all business development for NBA China. So what were some of your main responsibilities with that role? Yeah, thank you. So that was uh, yeah, that was a, that was a wonderful opportunity. Fantastic. You know, um, Mark Tatum, the deputy commissioner, you know, called and, and, you know, we were having a lovely conversation. Mark's also one of my favorite people in the business. And uh, I'm so grateful to him for that opportunity. And, uh, you know, we, as we were talking, it was, you know, the, the kind of the vision and the goal at that time was to, cause obviously, you know, basketball is like religion in China. Um, and there was an office that was there. Um, but the business wasn't, at least at the time, you know, wasn't, growing 
at the same rate or the same clip um, that maybe, you know, everyone would have wanted or, or had hoped or, or had envisioned. And a lot of the deals at that time were, were global deals that were being sourced, you know, out of the league office out of New York. There weren't independent deals that were, you know, standing on their own that were being sourced and mined from the local team. I mean, just I'm talking generally speaking, like, right. you know, um, there were certainly deals and revenue that was happening and, and business that was being transacted. But the goal was to, you know, really build a robust, um, you know, global partnership business there, you know, in 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 China um, that could end up operate independent and autonomous of, of headquarters. I mean, certainly feed in and, and work closely and collaborate with headquarters. But, and so the, the prospect of that was, was fascinating. You know, I was, I was really excited by that, that opportunity and that challenge um, to get outside of my normal comfort zone uh, to really test a lot of the uh, disciplines and processes that I'd been building and putting in place. I had now lived in multiple markets in different areas of the country. And um, but, you know, I had never, I had never at that point, you know, I'd lived outside the U.S., but not in a professional capacity. Yep. So the the prospect of going, you know, to a totally different country on the other side of the world, uh, you know, where I don't speak the language, where I don't have a network, you know, to me, that challenge to see if like these principles that have gotten me this far, like, you know, can I like, can I pressure cook them and test them against like the ultimate challenge of China? Like that to me was what was exciting. And yeah, the job was to, to build that partnership business. It was a traditional sponsorship business, our media business. So digital and, and the advertising on, on the television broadcasts um, at CCTV five. Uh, and then our uh, marketing, you know, kind of business intelligence, data research, measurement and analytics function. So there were th those three functions combined under the kind of business, business development vertical of the global partnership business. And it's, you know, it sounds like an amazing, you know, to your point, not only just different country, different continent, and, you know, are the X's and O's transferable? And, and after a few years, you receive a promotion to the international business development where you're now helping drive large scale global platforms across China, Asia, India, Africa, Europe, Middle East, South America, Mexico, and Canada. And so, as you think about your time there at the league office, what were some key learnings just working across so many different countries, so many, you know, working with so many different people from different cultures, different backgrounds? Yeah, just that, you know, relationships do really matter, you know, in yep. that um, at the end of the day, no matter where you are in the world and, and, you know, at the time, the NBA had 19 offices outside the U.S., and so I was traveling across those 19 offices, trying to grow and monetize the NBA's popularity globally. And no matter what culture or what country, you know, sitting down across the table from someone, you know, really having a, a meaningful, you know, dialogue and, and, and building that connection, building that rapport, you know, investing in that relationship, investing in that, you know, potential partnership, like those same tenants, they, they carry through, you know, whether you're in, in Africa, uh, you know, in China, you know, down in Brazil, it's all about that relationship and human connection. And also, you know, again, really fundamentally, you know, understanding the goals and objectives um, of said business. What are their challenges? What are their opportunities? Where are they trying to go? What's on the horizon for them? Do they have new, you know, product launches that are coming? Are there ways that we can support and lean into those important initiatives? And then coming back with a really thoughtful campaign that, you know, is designed to, you know, to deliver against those, those, those opportunities. Um, that, that to me was like, you know, the biggest thing, I'll, you know, also um, 
having, you know, a laser focus, like within a specific category and really diving deep into a category, right? Like when you're, when you're looking across, you know, literally like across the globe, right? You can't have like, well, I want to do this down in this market and this over here in this market. You've got to have a really clearly articulated platform that you're trying to socialize and that you want those themes and those, the, those, those thematics uh, to continue throughout. Um, and, you know, finally, like to just have that resolve, there were, you know, one of the, one of the most exciting, you know, partnerships that I worked on while I was at the NBA was the Tissot partnership where Tissot became the official timekeeper of the NBA. And, you know, that one came together. It was like an 18 plus month process, two plus year process. There were multiple flights, you know, back to Switzerland. There were multiple meetings with their group coming over to New York. Um, it was on, it was off, <laughs> there, was, there was traction, there wasn't traction. There was a six month period where we didn't talk at all, but there was a total, you know, halt in the conversations and to have that again, that fortitude and that conviction to be able to say, to really believe in the platform and to, to, to stay with a conversation. I think a lot of times, you know, I see two things at very different ends of the spectrum, you know, young young sellers that either hold on to a lead way too long and they don't know when to pivot and when to give up yeah, and we're holding out hope. Yeah. Right. And so like, I'm always trying to get to a yes. And if it's not a yes, like I want to get to a quick no. Right. Yeah. We're not in the business to have maybes. We're in the business to get yeses and no's. We're not in the business of having maybes, but there's also this small thing and this isn't to be contradictory, but like you've got to have that intuition and there's got to be something in your gut that you listen to that voice that tells you, no, there's something here. And, and, and I always just like, I say like, you know, you can't have all of those in your pipeline like that, but like one or two, you know, the, the, the LifeLock example in, in Phoenix when I was with the Suns was one of those great examples where like I had been told by others, like, this is a weird category, kill this, you know, don't, you know, don't pursue don't spend this. time. And, um, and I, okay. And so I like, I removed it from my pipeline but like I kind of quietly in the background kept calling on him. And like, yeah, right, right, right. You know, it was just something inside. It was burning. It was telling me that there was something there. And like, I always tell people like, hey, if that's your life lock, like keep, keep your life lock on your pipeline. You know, like you've got to have that conviction and that intuition that there's something there. You can't build an entire pipeline around those like maybe. Right, yeah, right. It's going to come up across the line. But to have one or two of those, I think is, you know, is, is constructive. It's a, it's amazing. And, you know, great, great advice there too, right. Of, of even going back to just having that consultant mindset, you can't go in with just a broad overview, no matter who you're talking to, you got to understand their value proposition, their needs, their wants, and their opportunities that you can impact their business. And you might go after spending almost five years at the NBA league office. You then get back on the team side this time with major league baseball and the Los Angeles Dodgers, you know, being the senior vice president of global partnerships, overseeing all the sales and, and marketing solutions. And, you know, we could spend a ton of time talking about your experience, at the Dodgers, but you know, while the, while with the Dodgers, you get the opportunity to win the world series, you know, get a ring in 2020. And so, you know, from, uh, you know, I guess overall, how was that experience going through that, that winning, uh, you know, of that, of that championship? Oh, certainly, you know, one of the most gratifying um, experiences I've had in my professional career. I've been so close, you know, uh, so many times and then to come up short, 
um, you know, in Indiana, the Pacers were, you know, always competitive and in the Eastern Conference Finals and the NBA Finals and right there and just, you know, just came up just a little short. And then, you know, when I left uh, the Pacers and I went to the Phoenix Suns, I think the year before I got there, they won 26 games. But then, you know, like Amari Stoudemire had been drafted and Nash had come over and it was Sean Marion and it was D'Antoni in the six seconds or less. And we were in the Western Conference Finals, I think, three of the five years I was there. And one year, you know, the the year um, we played the Spurs and Nash got hip checked into the boards and there were some suspensions. And it was like, you know, uh, we were all convinced that we were going to win the championship that year. We were convinced. Um, and it was, it was heartbreaking, you know, to be so close. And then I've been, you know, it was on the other side, like I've been in a small market with the, with the, you know, with the Bobcats at the time, I think we had set a record, an NBA record for the fewest wins in NBA history. And, uh, in the shortened season there, we won nine games, I believe. And, uh, and I was there as part of the franchise when the franchise made it to the playoffs for the first time in franchise history as an eight seed. And like, we were swept in the first round of the playoffs. So like, I've seen it all. Yep. I've seen like seven and nine single digit win seasons. Um, and I've seen, you know, small market teams uh, to, and then, and then I, I, and then obviously I'd gone to the league office where like you're Switzerland and you're not, you're not competing right. for any kind of championship. And then you're I winning thought, a championship every year. Yeah. You win <laughs> a championship every year, but you, you know, Getting back to the team side of sports, um, you know, for me, one, it's, it's because it is that camaraderie and that connection that you have, and you're so invested into what's happening on the court or on the field um, to finally win one. And look, we went to the World Series in 2017, and there were people, you know, around the organization that had been there 20, 22, 28, 30 years that were like, are you kidding me? You're going to come in here. I joined the organization in like September of 2017 and went through a couple of the last homestands, went into the playoffs and, you know, we're in the world series and like, there's absolutely no way uh-uh, uh-uh. you're not coming here. Yeah. And you're going to like, we're going to win a championship. Like perfect timing. Perfect timing. We obviously lost the world series in 17. We're back in the world series in 18 against the Boston Red Sox. Uh, you know, lost the world series there. 2019, you know, arguably had the best team in baseball, lost to the Nationals in a heartbreaking, you know, heartbreaking fashion. So it was so close. So in 2020 to finally do it for the, the first championship in my career, um, you know, the outpour of the emotion was was surreal. And to, to be around, you know, that group of, you know, our colleagues and friends that had been through yeah. so much and suffered and the sweat and the tears, it's, there's nothing like it. And that's why, you know, that's why I think we do what we do. And, uh, and to be honest, that's why I'm so grateful and humbled, you know, to have this opportunity, you know, here in, in Brooklyn with BSC Global, because, you know, our ownership group is committed to winning and yep. investing in the product, you know, out on the court, you never know what's going to happen. There could be injuries and there's this and there's that, but like to just know that you have a chance that you're squarely in the middle of that conversation and you're going to be one of those teams, you know, chasing a championship. It's, you know, that's all you can ask for, you know, from a, from a professional standpoint. You know, an, an amazing experience there. And, and to your point, Michael, you'd spent three and a half years with the Dodgers. You get the opportunity to, to build a brand new leadership team with BSC Global in Brooklyn with the Nets and Barclays Center. And you've, just, you've been there just almost a year. And as the chief commercial officer, you oversee ticketing, suite, sponsorship, and marketing departments across all of BSC Global teams and venues. And so how has that transition been for you, especially since much of your time has been working remote? 
Yeah, thanks. I mean, look, it's certainly exciting. It's um, it's the most rewarding um, professional experience I've had to date. And but it has it has been challenging. You know, I think, you know, to your point, like we were all working remote. Um, you know, I was still in Los Angeles at the time. And uh, and so working from afar and juggling different time zones and juggling. There were so many other there are so many new executives that have joined the organization in the last year. Yep. And they're all onboarding too. And none of us are together. We're not in the office together. Um, I was flying back and forth between, you know, LA and New York um, and finally made the move permanently in May. And our offices reopened, you know, at the beginning of June, June one. Yep. And so just having, just being on the ground and having our, our teammates, you know, together all under one roof, like there's, you know, I'm, I was really impressed with the collective workforce and how resilient, not even just in the sports industry, but just all industries, how people adapted and, and got their businesses and their industries, they kept them moving forward, you know, th- through Zoom, yep. right? Right, like, right. The I new think, norm. Yeah, I think we've, we've effectively demonstrated that it is capable and it is possible to do work, right, like outside of the normal traditional office, but there's definitely no substitute. And, and no argument that you can't be more effective and, and more dynamic when you're together, right? right? Just the ability to collaborate. If you and I were in a meeting right now, and if right now when this Zoom meeting ends, bing, you know, leave meeting, the screen ends, and it's over, you go Done. off to the next, you're under the next meeting, I'm under the next meeting. If we're in the same office space, you and I might be walking together down the hall to the next meeting, and there might be three new ideas that you and I share with one another just in that five-minute exchange said, hey, Travis, you said something in the meeting. I was really interesting. I want to double click on that. What did you mean by that? Did it? What if we did this? And then you said, well, I didn't even think about that. That's fantastic. I like that. What if we did this? And so that, that exploration, that ideation is, I think, what was really missing and just generally not feeling connected, right? I think we were all stuck inside our homes. And I think as humans, like we just need and crave that sense of, of closeness, right? So like, it's amazing to be back in the office. With As you say, just getting back and having that personal connection and seeing people and to your point, right? Like your, your schedule now gets all booked up remote and it's, Hey, this zoom meeting might last 15 minutes, but you don't have that time to walk back together to run to somebody's desk. And, you know, certainly with you, you there's a lot of moving pieces because BSC global manages and operates not only the Brooklyn Nets, but Barclays center, the long Island Nets, the NBA 2k Nets, uh, your GC, as well as hundreds of shows and events. And, you know, BSC, you guys just had some big news on the on the side of BSC as it re- recently announced a $30 million annual deal for the Jersey patch with Webull, which is an online trading app. And that's 50% more than some of the top Jersey patch deals up to this point. And so first, Michael, congratulations. You know, you, you talked about the Tissot deal. I'm, I'm sure this deal was was in the making for, for a while and probably a lot of back and forth, but a lot of questions. You know, walk the listeners through just that overall pitch, the overall value proposition and, and close of such a big deal. Thanks, Travis. I mean, look, we're, we're you know, over the moon, excited uh, to welcome Weeble, you know, to our partnership family. Um, I should say uh, those uh, numbers were, were, you know, reported that that was not, you know, not anything that would ever come um, from us. We, right. we take great pride. We do not uh, discuss or disclose terms of, of our deals ever. Um, so that's, that's an alleged number that was reported um, by the media. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure that's, you know, that that's understood, but no, we Absolutely. couldn't be more excited. This, this, 
this was, um, you know, the way that this partnership came together, you know, it was the right marriage of ideas. And um, in Webull, you know, we found like, look, what's really interesting about these kinds of partnerships, historically, traditionally, is, um, you know, whether it's a naming rights or a patch, you know, partner, typically those, those opportunities come from one of two different buckets. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm painting with a really, with broad strokes here. There are obviously right. different examples that fit outside of these, but just broadly in one of two buckets, either a company that has a strong corporate presence in the backyard of said, said building or said property or said team, and or they are a challenger brand or a young up and coming brand that's 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 ready to make noise. They want to they want to you know they want to come into the marketplace in dramatic fashion, and they're looking to make a big splash. In yep. Webull, we found both. Right, this is a company that is headquartered in New York. They're right here. They also have global global reach and a global footprint. We're talking about a company that has you know offices and and customer bases in you know six different time zones you know, multiple countries around the world, you know, with offices in Hong Kong and London and coming in Singapore and Toronto and others. I mean, so this is a global company with global reach and a real global appetite, right? But proud to be of New York, from New York, for New York. And they were looking for the right partner to tell that message and sing that message proudly. And so, you know, for me, you know, it, it's it's always about finding that right marriage of ideas and finding um, those authentic points of connection in terms of the partnerships. And, you know, the thing that I love about them is, you know, they've got a young user base. They've got a young demographic. So do we. Right. The overlay and the onset between their customer base and ours is one that is so exciting. And the things that we're going to be able to do together um, you know, I think the sky's the limit about where we're going to be able to take, you know, this partnership in this platform. They've got ambitious plans to grow and accelerate in, in meaningful fashion. And I can't think of a better opportunity or platform for them to scale in particular globally, but certainly here throughout the U.S. than, than with this relationship with BSC Global. And it's so much more than just the Brooklyn Nets. It's the New York Liberty, right. Nets GC, it's the Long Island Nets and all the other things that we're going to do globally around the world. Um, to me, that's what gets me so excited. Yep. No, and you can hear the passion in your voice. And again, congrats. And, you know, going through that process and, and you know, I mentioned this earlier, you've sold over a billion dollars with the deals in the sponsorship world in your career. What's your advice for listeners on just being able to think and think big and ultimately just get to that point where the, the comfort level is there to ask for the big deal and ask for the close? Well, you've got to, you know, you've got to really believe in your platform. Right. And, and you've got to remember that I always say this great ideas, big ideas always find money. You know, I love it when I great you, sit down with, you sit down with a partner and they say, well, I, you know, I don't you know, we don't have budget for that. Or we don't like we don't have budget for what? Like right. we haven't even started talking. Yeah. We don't even know where this is. You don't have budget to grow and scale your business by 22 percent this year. Right. You don't have budget to bring. 4 million new customers to your funnel in the next, you know, 12 months, like, you know, like it's about understanding and, 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 and uncovering like what is success? How, how are we going to measure success in this partnership and in this platform? Because I, I'm confident that that company's got money or budget somewhere 
to go solve against some problem that they're facing in their business. Right. They're just, it's just not clear to them yet that that money or that budget could be funneled into an integrated marketing platform with BSC global or with, you know, insert, you know, property X or property Y. Whatever team it is. Yep. But you've got to have that mentality and you've got to be able to think creatively and think analytically to be able to that marriage of those two to be creative and analytical at the same time, I think is really complicated. Most sellers are either really, really, you know, they're really analytical or they've got a lot of process and they like, they're methodical about the way they work a category or a lead. They're not that creative or someone's really creative and they've got great ideas. They're really charming. They're charismatic. They're warm. They're energetic. They're personable, but like they don't have any follow through. They don't have any process. They're like, they're clunky. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen a lot of both. Right. It's really hard to find someone that, that, that can marry the two sides and to do it in a way where both sides are in harmony and in balance with one another. And those are the kinds of people that I'm interested in. I'm interested in finding, you know, like it's a little easier to find the person that's, that's charming and charismatic and personable and has high energy and try to teach them the other things than it is the other way. Yeah, Personality right is one, one thing that that's hard to, to really, you know, to teach, but you know, for me, that's, what's exciting, right. It's about like spending time with the team and trying to, trying to bring that out or, you know, uncover that or, or show someone that process. And like when, when the, when the light, you know, when the, when the light switches on, right. When it's like, bing. And it's like, wow, that was really cool, you know, to, to see that. I mean, that's what I saw Rick Welts do. That's what I saw Harvey Shank do. The first time I saw it happen, it was like magic. Yeah. You know, it was amazing. It was like, it was incredible. Like this, just like the entire room was like just in their palm, in their hand. That's, you know, that's like, that's why I like doing, you know, what we do. And everything comes together. And, you know, to your point, customers end up kind of walking themselves into a sale because you've shared that value proposition and that partnership. And well, this has been great. Ton of great advice. Certainly fun to hear about your journey. We're certainly looking forward to, to seeing what BSE Global continues to do both on and off the court. And, you know, to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Okay. I don't know. I don't know if I am, but let's try. So you've talked about, you, you've lived in a lot of different places. You've traveled a lot of different places. What's your favorite city or, or place that, that you've lived in or been to? The, the best trip, the most memorable trip that I've ever taken uh, was to Kenya. Uh, I was in the Maasai Mara and I was on safari for a couple of weeks. So it was in Nairobi and then spent time. I mean, Africa to me is still you know, the most interesting continent on the planet. Um, obviously, I have deep roots and a deep love and passion for Asia, China in particular is, is right there. China and Africa to me are like the two most interesting, but, but yeah, Kenya and the Maasai Mara through the Serengeti, um, watching the migrations take place is the most memorable trip I've taken. Sounds amazing. If you had a superpower, what would it be and why? Well, I really love to be able to fly. I think that would be amazing because I, you know, I love to travel and I love to, you know, I've got so many amazing friendships around the world. There's so many people I'd like to see. I'd love to be able to, to just teleport myself like bing, bing, bing and right. to be around. Uh, that would be amazing. I'd love that. Absolutely. If you were to be on a TV show, whether it be a sitcom or a reality, which show would you love to be on? Seinfeld. Nice. Love yeah. it. Go hang with Jerry and 
Larry and George and Elaine. <laughs> the whole crew. Yeah, the crew. Well, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Uh, find and follow your passion. Uh, tireless work ethic. There's no substitute for shortcuts, right? There's, just, there's no substitute for hard work and there's no shortcuts. And then, you know, and then smile, enjoy, try to have fun, you know, embrace this moment. If you're not, if you're not enjoying it and if you're not having fun, I promise you that translates to the people across the desk, if people across the room, the people in front of you, they did authenticity. Authenticity is the most important thing that, that, you know, we can harness as, as individuals. And if you're not authentic and if you're not leaning into that authentic sense of self, and, and, and honing and owning that authentic voice and like, and, and just having fun and enjoying it. Like people will see right through it. And, you know, yeah, I, that's in no particular order, but those are the three things I think I would hold on to. Such great advice. You talked earlier in the podcast about, you know, control the controllables and, and that's exactly what you can control, right? You got to follow your passion, follow your dream. You did take a, an unusual path to getting into where you're at today and have had a very successful career your work ethic is impeccable and you got to smile. You have fun. You're, you're working in sports. So couldn't agree more. Michael, thank you so much. You've had such a great career. Pleasure talking to you. And I certainly appreciate your time and expertise. Thank you, Travis. So, so honored and humbled to be here, man. Thank you. Look forward to look forward to seeing you in New York real soon. Absolutely. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.